Hey listeners, this is Charu Sharma from Silicon Valley and you're listening to Working Moms. We invite impressive working moms from all walks of life to learn about their choices, trade-offs, work-life balance, re-entering the workforce, self-care, their definition of success, financial planning, and much more. Today we have uh, Marie Uchier with us. She's a director of product and Twitter and formerly co-founder and CEO of a, a VC-backed startup, Aiden. Marie, thank you for being with us here today. Thanks a lot for inviting me, Charu. So I've been so excited for this conversation with you, particularly because you've been a founder. And just after running your company for three years, you recently got acquired by Twitter, which is one of the world's largest tech companies. So I think, uh, let's just jump right in. I think my first big question is, how has being a mom played a role in your career? And how has it been, especially being a founder and a mom? Yeah. Um, so we started the company, my co-founder and I, uh, in uh, July 2016. So just the two of us. Uh, back then, he had... Uh, uh, a, a young child and I had uh, no kids at all and I was recently married so uh, my daughter was born in February 2018 so half of um, you know the the journey I guess uh, was with me not having kids and then becoming uh, a parent uh, halfway through the start of adventure um, and that that has been a really amazing journey um, and there's obviously you know lots of challenges that come with it but uh my husband uh, has been uh, really, really supportive uh, throughout uh, this this journey, and really helped to make sure that we were able to, you know, to essentially uh, do both. I was able to do to go through the professional career that I always wanted to go through, as well as uh, building a family. That's right. And I, I read one of your interviews um, talking about your fundraising process. So it sounds like you were six months pregnant when you started fundraising and you closed around when your daughter was four months old. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. There was a wow. pause. <laughs> so what, what was it like? I mean, fundraising is hard for anyone. And then uh, when you're a female founder, because I've gone through it, it there is this extra layer added where... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of VCs are doing pattern matching and they don't really, uh, they don't really see, uh, well, it's changing, but until recently, they didn't really see, um, uh, you know, a Mark Zuckerberg in you, uh, so to speak. And so how did you fundraise being a mom and, uh, and being pregnant? <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't straightforward, but I think you have an excellent point. VCs do do pattern matching, whether they know it or not. Now they're becoming very conscious of it because there's a lot of people talking about it and it's been very well uh, studied. Um, but unfortunately, bias most of the time is unconscious. So what happens is, as you said, um, you don't look like Mark Zuckerberg at all uh, when you're um, pregnant and heavily pregnant. Um, and this raises questions, you know, in the eyes of the, the people who are interviewing you. They don't do it on purpose, but they're probably thinking, oh, you know, um, is Marie going to stick around? How long is her maternity leave going to be? And, you know, some of the message might get diluted when you're pitching to investors because they're, they're unconsciously or consciously kind of thinking about all those questions, which are legitimate, by the way. Um, and it could make the process slightly harder. If anything, it makes the process different. So uh, I think 
you know, the only way to uh, normalize this is to have more and more uh, people like me just like pitching essentially when they are pregnant and not hiding away, not delegating that to somebody else. Um, because I think that we have a responsibility in also showing that um, that you can you can do both. Absolutely. Um, so how did you feel, though, uh, before you decided to have a baby? So uh, when I personally think about my next step, so I closed my uh, last company a few months ago, and I'm thinking about my next step about maybe getting a job in product or maybe starting another company. And when I when I when I think about family planning, it scares me a lot because when you're a founder, you don't have financial stability. You you have to make sacrifices, which probably becomes more difficult to do when you have a child. So, what was your decision making process, and and um, where did you also find that self confidence in you that that you can do it all? Um. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So I um you know, started uh, the company when I just turned 30 and uh, I had been married uh, for a year. Obviously, we were thinking of having kids and I knew I was going to start this company as well. I actually didn't put that much thought into it in the sense that, you know, we discussed it and we we're like, yeah, let's do it. And then I was very, very intentional about not asking for anyone's permission in you know my career so uh it's funny how when i started saying that I was starting a company some of my really good friends including um specifically entrepreneurs who were you know going through the same <laughs> struggles and everyday hustle of what it's like to start a startup fundraising etc just some of them assumed guys um who were single assumed oh that's great but that means you're not going to have kids for the next few years and i didn't actually engage with those conversations i didn't start a debate mm. i didn't say you're wrong or you're right I just ignored it because if you start you know thinking it's your responsibility to you know to spend energy and um, time uh, like challenging everyone's perceptions you're going to lose all your energy you're going to run out of steam before you get anything done for your startup so I guess my attitude was to be unapologetic and just you know just go ahead with whatever my husband and I wanted to do and then a solution will come. Because at the end of the day, there is always a solution. And you're right, it has, you know, um, uh, financial cost and all those things. I didn't try to think about it too much. Uh, London is super expensive. Uh, we, you know, uh, were paying quite a low rent back then. We were in a one bedroom when I started the company. And I didn't want my husband to bear any of the financial uh, weight of me starting uh, a company so I just used my savings until I got the salary which was rather low uh, as you'd expect like salaries uh, for founders early stage startups are very low so that means I used to get paid over 120k actually and then I went down to 40 um, so you do have to take this into account but there is always a solution you know <laughs> and I know it sounds very simplistic but I really feel like it's um, important that men and women don't anticipate too much and don't stress out too much because, mm. you know, I think you can just stop yourself from doing so many things in life. You're your own greatest enemy just because you're thinking about the risks that are involved. That makes sense. Um... So what are some of the tactical trade-offs that you had to make once you did become a mom? Um, 
um, whether it's financial or allotting your time, uh, allotting your energy? How did you make that work? Yeah, so um, actually going back to your question earlier about, um, you know, the how it was being pregnant fundraising, to, to give a tiny bit more details into that and to answer then the question about the sacrifices or how we changed, how I changed, uh, how I was doing things. Pre-having um, Ellie, uh, our daughter, and when we were fundraising, it was it was very hard because you have to show up. You still have to go to those um, events where you're frontline and you're either selling uh, to your clients or you're pitching to VCs or you're on stage. Like uh, I was at the TechCrunch Disrupt uh, event where, you know, we're <laughs> presenting in front of 800 people and mm-hmm. I was seven months pregnant. So you, you kind of have to um, be conscious that it's not, um, it's not easy. It's uh, generally speaking, as you know, um, entrepreneurship is pretty much like a marathon. Everybody says this, but it is true because it, it's high effort for a long time. But when you're pregnant, uh, it's like running, you know, like 42K with a fridge on your back. So it's, uh, it's even, it's even harder. And I think, I think before Ellie was born, um, it, it wasn't just like, you know, it was all fine. It was already quite uh, intense the moment that uh, I got pregnant because, of course, it's uh, a lot of additional challenges um, just because of, you know, your capacity to breathe is actually reduced when you're pregnant. So pitching. Yeah. Your body is uh, actually changing. Your body's changing. So as, as the more you, you grow bigger, uh, the harder, you know, the baby tends to press on your lungs. So for example, being short of breath is not a problem in itself, but it could make you look like you're less confident. You know, and catching your breath mm. can mean a difference between you getting millions or not when you're fundraising. So this is something to bear in mind. Um, it's not just something you can wing <laughs> because your body kind of, you know, tells you otherwise. And then uh, and then after Ali was born, uh, well, I obviously had to change my schedule a little bit to go and pick her up from uh, the kindergarten, uh, childminder in English. Uh, and it was just like an organization between my husband and I. He was going one day and then I was going the other day uh, and my co-founder who um, had two kids by then also was leaving early and then we reconnected from home to work later hours. Um, so really when you were fundraising uh, it sounds like you were very resilient very strategic but was there ever a time where um, uh, you know something didn't go as planned? Yes, um, thanks for asking that question because we tend to forget as well and just skip and just the bad bits and talk about just all the good bits. But um, yeah, so I had to do an awful lot of traveling back then because we uh, went to see VCs in France, in the US, in Germany and in the UK. And uh, we did actually get a term sheet um, early December uh, by one of the VCs we had met. And then they, three weeks later, just before Christmas, they basically called me to say they're pulling out because they have, you know, decided that changed their mind. Um, they hadn't even, wow. um, yeah, and they hadn't spoken to our clients. I think one of their requirements back then, if I remember, was to do due diligence before they, you know, they were, uh, well, they wanted to call our client, which were Airbnb and Uber, before we had signed the term sheet, to which I said no. 
Um, because of course, you know, you're not going to just organize setup calls with your biggest clients, your most precious assets and potential uh, investors if they haven't committed. So they did give us a, a term sheet, which we were just in the process of looking at. And then they kind of decided that they weren't going to do it. And they felt awful about it. The guys were super sweet, honestly. And I, I truly think that they, they perhaps got overly excited. And then there was a little bit of fear of missing out because we went on stage at this big tech conference and they probably got scared. But that really wasn't helpful to us at all because we then decided, okay, well, those guys are actually going to be the lead investors. And then we stopped pursuing the other conversations. And just before Christmas, um, that's just not a good thing to do because then Christmas happens yeah. and no VC wants to is interested in meeting with entrepreneurs. Uh, and I was two months away from delivering. So that was hard. Wow, that's crazy. Something similar happened to me. Um, I mean, I'm not a mom yet. And the reason I do this podcast is because I've been so curious about how becoming a mom would change my career. And I would just have these mm -hmm. coffee conversations a lot. But I thought, wait, no, 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 more people in my shoes need to hear these amazing stories. Um, so that's how this podcast started. Just so just so you know, uh, I'm not a mom Thanks yet. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's great fun. Um, but um, but as I was telling you, uh, when we were starting to raise our first pre-seed round, we got a $1 million term sheet from a top-tier uh, VC fund in Silicon Valley. And then they came back a week later. I think they changed their mind. Um, I, think, where I think it just it, it crushed us a little bit, and we weren't sure if the momentum would stick. Because I had told everyone else that, wow, we have this VC fund. Um, I know. And it really just, it really killed our momentum. Uh, I mean, we can't, we got back on our feet in a few months, but that just wasted a lot of time. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so tough. <laughs> so Maria, <clears throat> Maria, as you were saying, um, we tend to be optimists and we tend to talk about the inspiring bits and the things that worked out looking back. And we often, uh, you know, don't talk about um, uh, the challenges because I think people like you and me don't like to think about it that way but I'm so curious what have been your biggest challenges as a working parent yeah um, so I think the biggest one to start with was really like closing the round um, was super difficult because I was hoping to close the round before uh, my baby arrived and uh, you know pregnancies don't always go as planned uh, and unfortunately, uh, I was told that I had to deliver the baby uh, four weeks earlier than the due date. And I actually um, refused the first time around because I got a second opinion on medical advice. Because sometimes they also rush you um, just because, you know, it just, the baby's viable and they just think, OK, well, um, then that's going to be a problem solved. So that was difficult because during the last uh, three weeks of my pregnancy, I actually was monitored every day at the hospital. I had to go every day because the, the baby was losing weight uh, in my womb, which um, can happen, I guess, 20 or 30% of the time. Sometimes it's unexplained. Thank God there was nothing harmful about the situation, but that also meant I had to keep making phone calls to investors <laughs> from wow. a hospital bed sometimes. And Honestly, I wasn't like I wasn't in a state where I was distressed. I was just feeling very normal, but still, it's kind of a weird situation, <laughs> <laughs> and you just have to be conscious of that because it does freak out lots of people when you tell them that this is what you're doing. Um, so I think you have to be comfortable with, um, you know, like non-traditional situations when you're an entrepreneur and you're 
you know, fundraising or selling to clients or whatever it is you're doing, plus being pregnant. <laughs> um, but also, I think, you know, uh, the hard thing was that um, we hadn't closed the round where, when I delivered the baby. So we continued having conversations with, we had 70% of the round committed, but mm. not the 30%. And we were doing one close. We weren't, I refused to do multiple closes because I didn't believe in that. Um, so that comes at a cost. You know, that means you still have to show up uh, because my co-founder tried to close the rest of the round without me. But understandably, um, we were very early stage, still pre-revenue, and I was the CEO. Mm. The investors wanted to see me. So I think... Um, I didn't anticipate how much uh, pressure it would actually put. I was putting on myself to go to those meetings in person. I didn't have to do that in hindsight. And now that there's COVID-19 and everybody's jumping on Zoom calls for every for every occasion they have, it makes sense to use Zoom calls when you don't, you know, when you're not physically supposed to just go to meetings. But I think um, you kind of live and learn uh, that it's okay you know to uh say look i'm not gonna come to that meeting because i just delivered a baby uh would you like to meet me you know where i live come to see me and we'll have a coffee just in the coffee shop down my road and honestly people say yes people aren't assholes (laughs) so it's just on us to be better uh at asking and verbalizing what you're going through i think yeah I think that's really good advice. I think often um, we uh, make believe in our own head and we, we, and then we just, we keep thinking in our own heads. And so we internalize this more and more that if we ask for say more time off or um, flexibility in our work schedule or for someone to come meet you closer to you because you just delivered a baby, we just assume that they're going to say no, but it doesn't hurt to ask. So I I think that's really good advice. Um, I'm, also super curious. Um, so you're our first podcast guest from outside of the US. And I know there are policy differences between US and the UK. And so I'm also curious to hear about um, what the policies are there um, around maternity and what you think of them, how you think they could be better or how they've helped you. Um, and then I'd also love to hear your perspective on being an employer at your startup. You were employing 11 people. And so what you think workplace policies and workplace cultures, uh, uh, how you think they can be shaped to make it easier for working parents? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I uh, hope that my uh, English accent kind of works out for the, <laughs> the audience. <laughs> Um, funnily enough, I'm actually, I, I'm French, so I, um, I mm-hmm. uh, can also comment on the differences between France and England because it, it's only a few hundred miles away, uh, but uh, very, very different in terms of how they approach maternity leave. So in England, I think the, so I didn't have a traditional maternity leave the first time around because I decided to take uh, eight weeks, but uh, I think the norm usually uh, is around six months. Six months is like not fully paid. Uh, I think the government only pays for around six weeks and then your employer decides to top up. But it's very common for people to take six months from what I've seen. Um, now, at Twitter, they have an amazing policy because they, uh, they are giving equal uh, parental leave to mums and dads, um, which is around five months. Uh, so I think that's exactly how you can generate change 
in the mentalities about what it's like to, you know, to need to take some time off to look after your children. Um, in most companies, it's or in most cultures, it's it wasn't even a thing for dads to take paternity leave. Now in the UK, it's two weeks, but it's two weeks optionally paid. So when we had our kids, uh, my husband worked for a startup, and you know his boss just said, "Sure, you can take two weeks," but he paid him zero, like nothing. And I think that's also a sign of how much you actually care about your employees. Yeah. Um, so there is a huge responsibility from employers to drive that change. We um, took a bit of time off each because uh, PJ, my co-founder, also had a, a child uh, whilst we were a second child. In his case, whilst we were doing the startup, he took a, a few weeks off and he was working remotely. So, so when uh, PJ had his t- second child, he um, you know, also had a responsibility as uh, a male uh employee to to show uh uh you know what it would be like for for other uh people in our team if they wanted to take parental leave and i think there's a lot of things that actually are a lot of messages that are getting sent without you saying anything specific they just see how much time you're taking off whether or not you're working whilst you're away if you're saying that you're in parental leave but you're actually constantly on slack and constantly checking emails and micromanaging people, you know, that's going to send a strong message. <laughs> so I think we we really have a responsibility as, um, you know, people who are leading the, the team to show that we're taking this seriously and that we're committing to, um, to respecting people's time when they are on parental leave. And not spamming and it's them. Really, it's really tough to do as founders because you can't stop thinking about your baby at all. So I think it's especially commendable that you and your co-founder did that. Yeah, so we were speaking all the time. We were working uh, like we obviously didn't... I didn't disconnect entirely because we were in the process of fundraising. Mm. And I took eight weeks off officially from the office and I respected that. I did not show up. I did not do a surprise like, hello, guys, I'm back. You know, I said, I'm going to be away for eight weeks and trust me, you're not going to see my face, I promise you. And and I really respected that. But then, of course, PJ and I were talking because we were in the middle of this fundraise and we, we had to meet lots of people. I actually ended up, um, you know, calling off all the meetings that we had because a lot of the investors, they were early stage investors, were like, we're really passionate about this, we're going to do this, but they were taking too much time. And I only had eight weeks and I really wanted to take advantage of my eight weeks. And after three weeks, you know, I figured actually this is going nowhere. So I had a three weeks old baby and I was going to meetings with the baby <laughs> and wow. just showing up. And, you know, it's really bloody hard. And then people were just like being VCs and just saying, okay, well, we'll think about it. So I just, you know, canceled all the meetings I had, even when people said, but Marie, we're really close to making a decision. I said, well, sorry, forget it. And I just called our other investors, the ones who had already committed. And I just told them, look, guys, um, this is not helpful for the business. It's not helpful for me. It's not helpful for anyone. So top up your investment, give us more, and we'll close around. And then we can actually start doing business, real business again, going after clients and growing this business, not playing the VC game. (laughs) And did, did it work out? Did they respond well to that? Yeah, one of them tripled his investment. Wow. 
So that was amazing. And like to this day, I thank them for understanding that it was in everyone's interest. You know, you can't, you, because founders will get tired if they are fundraising forever. And at the end of the day, we're not here to fundraise. We're here to build a business and, uh, you know, make clients happy. And the longer we're on the road to fundraise, then, you know, the, the less we're, we're actually able to create value for the business itself. Well, I also love that this even occurred to you and you you asked them because, uh, uh, I mean, I hope I do this if I'm in your shoes, but I think I probably would have just kept going. I probably would have just kept fundraising and, and not have the courage to go back and push back on existing investors. And uh, I don't know, I, I just, I think it's so great that you asked for it. Well, I'll be very honest and this is, um, you know, maybe too much uh, versus what your audience would like to hear, but I was made to... <laughs> to mm. stop uh in the sense that sometimes you also have complications you know when you have babies and this is not something that I anticipated at all but it so happened that I um you know had uh some um issues after after delivering my baby and I had to uh go back to the hospital to get some placenta uh removed which means that essentially you're you're pretty much bleeding out um, several times um, mm. after you give birth and this is the first cause of mortality in women who give birth so if you don't address the physical symptoms you have and you keep going at some point it could have very difficult consequences <laughs> so in my case five weeks after I delivered I had to go back to the hospital and get um, uh, a procedure done to, to fix this you know, thank God um, it was fixed. But uh, that made me realize I am not doing this. I'm not showing up uh, looking like everything's fine because as soon as you put makeup on, people will tell you you look amazing as well. And you're like, yeah, but I don't feel amazing. <laughs> and you can't always go into the details for lots of reasons. Like, first off, no one wants to hear about, you know, anything that has to do with people's bodies in general. And certainly when you're speaking to an audience of people who who can't relate because, you know, most of them are men. They can relate because maybe it happened to their their wives or things like this, but you're not going to start going into those details. At the same time, they're affecting your life. So I think it's also very important not to, you know, keep putting a lid on it because sometimes you have this when you're an entrepreneur, you just keep going. You're like, nothing's going to stop me. It's fine. I don't listen to any of the signs and I keep going. This is how you can end up with... Um, difficult situations I think people uh you know either go through tough um like you know de depressions and this is completely outside of having a kid this affects men uh as well as women mm -hmm. just like physical symptoms which tell you this is not the way it's supposed to be and you tend to shut that off and it's uh a huge mistake which I've come to to learn about so it does teach you a lot of things absolutely I think I was deeply burned out for several months uh, before I closed my company down. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really just taught me uh, that uh, I have my whole life ahead of me and it's important to pace myself and balance. Absolutely. So, Marie, um, so the first time around when you had a baby, you were running your own startup, you were your own boss, um, which came with a lot of stress and responsibility, but you also controlled your schedule. Um, now the second time around, so congratulations! You're Thank you very much. And how is it different this time? Now that you're, you know, so to speak, a corporate employee. 
Um, it's entirely different because, uh, you know, just when you start working for another company than your own, the um, responsibility of success is distributed in a different way. Um, you, you know, there's obviously like, you know, thousands of employees who are working really hard to deliver towards a common goal. Uh, whereas when you're a small startup um, and you're the founder, if you're not around, uh, you know, things will might go slower or just behave differently. So, so yeah, it's definitely not the same setup. I think it's, it's much more um, comfortable from a, like, I think just from a, a mental perspective, from, you know, thinking about all the responsibility that you have when you're a founder, it can be really, really overwhelming. Um, and being part of a, a bigger company means you're part of a huge team. Absolutely. Um, do you think there are specific policy changes that companies can further make to make it easier for working parents? Yeah, I mean, I'd love for all the companies to enforce um, equal maternity and paternity leave. Mm-hmm. I actually love that you... Go, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, for me, this is this is literally the only thing that can teach men to have empathy. Because right now, they're just imagining what it's like to be on leave, and they think it's a holiday sometimes. You hear crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and you're like, well, actually. So I, I actually never had a real like maternity leave, as I said. So I don't project anything. I just, you know, I, I really know that I was working whilst I was uh, having the baby and my husband was really trying to help out. We surrounded ourselves with family to help us during this time. But I don't project anything, but I've heard a lot of crazy, um, you know, uh, remarks that people make because they they can't have empathy because they're never going to have an option to take some time off unless their companies allow mm. them to. That's the only, I think that's the only really groundbreaking things that companies uh, should include in their policies. Yeah. And if you, if the workplace doesn't allow for structures that, that, you know, allows men to help their wives and I'm speaking in very, very heterosexual terms, but, uh, but that allows um, uh, people to be able to support their partners when they're going through pregnancy, uh, childbirth, being a new parent, then how can there be equality at home? And if that's not the case, how can there be equality at the workplace? Um, so I actually really love that we've brought this topic back into the conversation because you often uh, have given credit to your husband for taking a, a lot of the responsibilities. Uh, can you speak a little about that? And can you, uh, can you also share if you have any advice for uh, the fathers uh, that might be listening? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the success of uh, the the entrepreneur journey that I went on is really uh, 50% my success, 50% my husband's success. If I obviously uh, don't take into account the fact that this is an entire team effort, but I mean, from a just from a couple standpoint, uh, this is like 50-50 really, because there's been many occasions um, where my husband has gone really beyond the sort of for sure the traditional roles but not even that I actually um, decided with my co-founder that it will be great for the company to move to the U.S. for three months uh, so we we were based in London and we then decided to uh, do a sort of 
a non-YC program because we actually uh, got invited to do the uh, Y Combinator interviews in April last year and we didn't get selected. And, you know, after uh, having spoken to lots of different founders who were friends of ours and who went through YC, we asked them, what's so good about it? And they all said, oh, well, for European founders, it's amazing to just go abroad and go to mm. Silicon Valley and just put a bunch of your employees together and just you're all kind of working and it creates a je ne sais quoi. And, you know, we're like, wait a second, we don't have to give equity for that. We can do that. So, <laughs> so we just, we did it. We rented a big uh, flat on Philbert Street in um, Cows Hollow in San Francisco, overlooking the the Golden Gate Bridge, actually. And it was, it was beautiful and it was where we lived and where we worked for three months. And that also means that, you know, uh, my family can come with me. So I was flying back and forth. And my husband was looking after our 18-month daughter for almost three months as a single parent. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And I told him, that, you know. Yeah. Sorry. I, I mean, I, of course, you have to make it count when you're doing something like this. It's a huge sacrifice for us, but also the guilt is uh, I won't lie. It was like clearly there before I even even decided I would uh, voice this idea to my husband, because you know you're a mum and people project a lot of responsibilities on mums as opposed to dads because mums usually take maternity leave and long maternity leave. So <laughs> you know, like suffice to say, I stuck out like a sore thumb amongst everyone here in London because the women that I interacted with outside of uh, work took normal maternity leave which here is usually six months I took two months so it felt like it was already something different and then just you know telling people that you're going away for three months with an 18 months old it's not very common in women if I'm honest so um you know that's another thing I'm sorry did you feel judged um before I decided to do it I thought I would be judged because it's just instinctive but then, you know, again, as I said, we're our own worst enemy and people aren't assholes. So no, no one judged me. I mean, or they didn't tell me to my face, but <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's just, it's one of those things. Sometimes you have those inhibitions because you're like, well, wait, do I even feel comfortable about this? Because it was so hard and I was actually coming back every two weeks and I wasn't away for the full three months because there was like a period of time where I came back for, for a wedding and I was there. And obviously, I was talking to my husband and my daughter every day on FaceTime. But it's just unusual. <laughs> it is. Um, you're right that uh, we get in our own heads. And we really put the biggest obstacles in our in our own heads. Um, I also think it's so crazy. When, when you were telling me about your husband single parenting, your 18-month-old daughter, I literally got goosebumps. And I was thinking, wait, why is that? Because if a mom does that, that's just her job. That is just so expected. And if... If dads do that, then we just, we think they're heroes and we put them on a pedestal. And this is not a comment on your husband at all, but I think it's just so unfair. But it's so true. You're right. right. I mean, I keep, I, I keep talking about it with him and I'm just like, wait, actually, you know, I'm always, I'm constantly fighting between honestly giving him the credit he deserves, but at the same time, just putting things into perspective and just say, isn't it sad that if I did this for you, no one would give a shit? Yeah. <laughs> he recognizes it because he is amazing but it's you know it's certainly uh he's not 
standard. So I can, you know, I can tell you about how I'm not standard, but he is not the norm amongst the other people we interact with because it's just not the norm. But hopefully things are changing and this may become, um, you know, more and more common. I think so. Um, I was reading an article recently that said how millennial dads have become three times more involved with raising their children than the previous generation. So Mm -hmm. um, I I think still the, the, I, I think it's still relatively slow uh, than what it should be. But I think childcare will increasingly become everyone's issue and not just something that moms need to be thinking about, um, which I'm just so optimistic about because then I think uh, workplaces will need to absolutely need to make radical changes. Um, but um, as we were saying, um, it sounds like you and your husband are not the norm yet. And you both also seem to be pretty comfortable um, uh, in your own skin and you seem to figure out what really works for you. And and it seems you don't have this herd mentality or just too much concern about what people might think. But I think, um, I, would, I would even say most couples I meet, even in the US, they're very traditional, uh, unfortunately. And um, it's just, it's so ridiculous how many women I know who have had to leave the workforce in their early 30s, mid 30s, uh, because because they wanted to take a break to raise their children. Um, and then, you know, when they, when they come back to the workforce, there are so many penalties that they have to pay, mm-hmm. um, whether yeah. it is they just fall behind their peers by a lot, or, uh, yeah. you know, uh, they enter back generally at 60% of what they were making before they left. I mean, it's how crazy is that, that a woman who worked for 10 years has to then start with an internship, and they call this returnship, and it's supposed to be this amazing model, but how crazy is that that they they are treated in terms of skill set like someone who has never worked before right um but anyway what advice do you have for working moms who are just burned out or not appreciated at work and they think uh or you know they're not getting the opportunities or recognition that they deserve and they just think ah oh, this job is just not worth it i'd rather be home with my kid you know um i think it was eleanor roosevelt who said no one is allowed to disrespect you without your consent. Hmm. So I think the first step is, it's so hard though. It's hard because there's external pressures. Uh, you have to put blinders on. But the first thing is like, I think you need to respect yourself as well and not consider that you're you know, worth less. You deserve the top dollar if you've got the career that justifies it. So there's no reason why you should come back and apologize for having taken maternity leave. That's the first thing. I think that's really, really important. And it's hard to do. And um, it's starting to change, hopefully, in companies. But you have to convince yourself first that you're not worth going through returnships or whatever the hell this is. I've never heard of that. That's preposterous. <laughs> um, but really, it's important. It's important to, to start with you. If you have the confidence in yourself, then I, I guarantee you that people will start looking at things differently. Um, and the second thing is, uh, it's, it's super difficult, honestly, like I don't actually have good advice because obviously, um, I went through a different path, but one thing I can say is that I was, I was really anxious about that though. I, I, you know, I make it sound like I never thought about, um, you know, having a career and child at the same time, which is sort of true, but I was so anxious to fall into this horrible cliche of just not being able to have the career that you want because you decided to have a family. 
Mm. I was like, screw this. I am not even thinking about it because I don't like it. I don't think it's normal. I don't think it's acceptable to start thinking about it when you're 20 as well. Because I guarantee you that no guys in their 20s are thinking about that. No. <laughs> so just don't do that to yourself, seriously. Um, and, and then uh, leave if you're working for an employer that doesn't respect you. Uh, leave if you're you know, just working in a work environment that um, makes you feel unwelcomed or ostracizes you for having decided to have kids. Because there, like, there's no, not anything in life that's more important than your mental health. Because if you're unstable and you're unhappy, then your children are going to be unhappy as well. So I really, truly believe that people need to focus a bit more on creating or working in environments that, um, you know, is, is uh, respectful. If the environment isn't respectful, I think it's also on the employees' responsibilities to start articulating that they feel like it's not a great environment. Because a lot of people also leave before they, you know, voiced that they were uncomfortable. And then that doesn't give people an opportunity to correct their mistakes. That's true. I, I really appreciate that you brought this up. So um, obviously things are relative and some, uh, you know, some environments uh, just don't give women the same privileges pr- privileges that you and I do. So I grew up in India in a family, for example, where women were not allowed to work. But I do think that in the world where you and I live, which is you know London and Silicon Valley, um, we have more power as individuals than we think. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's so important to articulate, and and uh, you know that change all, can can always start with us. Um, so I, I really appreciate this framework. Uh, Rudy, what advice do you have for women and men? This is the last question. Um, what advice do you have for women and men? who are planning to have kids, but they're, they're scared about it affecting their careers. And, um, and when is the right time to even have kids? Um, yeah, so the first question, I think, um, I think, again, going back to voicing concerns in the appropriate channels, um, I think the first thing is actually to open up about those concerns with your, your manager, uh, if, you're, if you're reporting to someone, and just see what they say. Because it's totally okay to be anxious about uh, things like that. And, and it's also okay to be ambitious and to want to have kids. Um, so really, I think that the really important piece is that you can't keep that to yourself. You have to share it. And you have to share it with people who can have an influence on your career. This is what you want to change. Um, and then uh, the second part of your question was, uh, when, when is, is the, the right, right time? time? Well, this is an easy one. Like whenever you feel like it, (laughs) there is no right time. Seriously, there is never a right time. If you ask anyone, this is one of the first things I actually picked up on when I was even, I don't know if I was even 20, but I noticed a lot of people were just saying, oh, you know, it's complex with kids. It's not the right time. But they all said this, you know, whether it was like people working at the local butchers or uh, people having very important uh, jobs it just was all the same thing. And mm. the other truth is you never know when you're going to have kids. Like you can try for years. You can try for just a week. I don't know. So you can't plan sure, this. You can't plan it out. No. So just don't plan. Don't, don't do that to yourself. Because you're already, like, even before you're, you're entering this life-changing event, which is, you know, clearly rocking your boat, 
you're already putting goals and deadlines and this is not an OKR thing, you know? <laughs> um, so don't, don't worry about that. Uh, of course, don't do it if you're not uh, in a financial situation where you're, you can't afford to have a child. Of course, that's one extreme. If you're a student or something like this, it's an obvious one. But most people probably just put too much pressure on themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. I think um, I think women are increasingly ambitious. Um, so uh, I'm one of them, and uh, we are just so used to planning a lot of other things out. You know, we have these goals, and um, especially as founders, we're always forecasting and planning for our headcount, our finances, our runway, um, mm-hmm. and and then sometimes these these things we we tend to carry it into our personal lives um and so i made it at this point but uh you know a, a lot of my friends think about um this this timeline that okay i will meet the person i'm going to marry in in this year and then i will get married in this year and um while it's very legitimate it's it's just not how life turns out so uh you're right the same thing applies to having a kid as well uh you're right that uh there there need to be some basics in place um so you don't just topple over your whole your whole world but um uh you, you probably can't plan it out too much you just you just need to go with it and then make trade offs and make choices together with your partner if you have a partner uh and then just make the most of life absolutely now i think this is uh very important to not let planning get in the way of life Absolutely. Because if you're planning, you're in the future and you have to, you know, why are those meditation apps so popular these days? It's because we lost the ability to live in the present moment. And it's so crucial to balance that out. If you're the uh, CEO, uh, as you were, you know, start talking about starting your own company, you have to be in the future all the time because you you have to plan for uh, fundraising, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So you have to balance it out in your personal life. You must be in the present moment. Of course, you don't want to be in the past because that's just reminiscing of nice moments and things you should have done. So that's terrible. But you do have to, uh, you know, really have a capacity to switch on and off. Else you're you're probably going to miss out on all the good stuff. You know, like when you hear older people say, oh, I wish I was 20 again. I don't know actually, if I wish I would try to again, <laughs> because you're always planning, you're anxious and you're not living, you know, the, the great life that you can want. You're actually a bit more comfortable in your own boots. Uh, and you've learned to let go of some of the things and planning is a big thing you have to let go on in your personal life. I think so important to be present, you know, thank you so much for doing this because I know you're doing this in your free time and you chose to do this and it's great because it might be reassuring for you as well because then you might grow a bit more confident about it your life. <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. Um, but it, it sounds like, um, so everyone really, uh, I think, looks at things differently, especially depending on their generation. Uh, and I also think employee personas think about this very differently from founder personas like you. So it's actually really interesting to also understand, well, what resonates more with me to help me yeah, understand who am exactly. I? Exactly. That is so true because there is not one truth. You know, there's just like opinions. And even I don't actually often give like advice per se. I don't like to give advice because because I don't know what's right for you. you know. Um, but I do think like people need to also uh, feel comfortable. They need to be feel good about the choices they've made. And uh, that means that for someone who loves planning, 
Um, maybe they're really unstable emotionally if they're not able to set a date like I need to start planning to have a baby this year. But for me, it would put a lot of pressure on me, not necessarily healthy at all. So I think it's also important um, because you're interviewing people and you might uh, you might see that some people have very assertive opinions like this is how you should be doing things. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm not like I clearly I don't know what's right for other people but but I I want to paint the picture that it's it's totally doable like you can do all those things it's been so delightful and so interesting to chat with you today thank you for being honest about your stories and, and leaving us with very actionable um, advice and, and very different ways of thinking so thank you for your time Marie you're very welcome Thank you listeners for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share with your friends and subscribe to Working Moms wherever you get your podcast. Have a great day and I'll talk to you next week.